we live a Christian life without, without making the connections between how this season of our life is connected with the other season of our life or this week is connected to the next one. But we keep coming to church, we keep worshiping, and we keep getting sanctified. We, we are being essentially transformed into the image of Christ each day. We know that in abstract form. In principle, we know that. But sometimes it's hard to, to make the connections and see the coherence of, of, of what God is doing in our lives. So I was reminded of that truth this week um, or the past few weeks. And, and um, what I want us to consider is to look back to May of this year. Um, and then if this, I know this is being recorded and this will be on, on the podcast. Um, this has some of a, a personal tinge to it. <laughs> um, so if people are not a part of the remnant, um, this adult fellowship that we're doing and this um, eventual Lord willing um, church plant that we're doing. Yeah, you might not see it, but the, the spiritual reality of what we would see uh, would be applicable there as well. So um, just given that um, preface ahead of time for whoever is listening, <laughs> to this, the the ones and ones of people that listen, usually it's me. Um, but but, uh, but what has the Lord done in our midst? And so I want us to go back to May of this year and then kind of see what the Lord has been teaching us, see how the Lord has been um, working among us and what He has been speaking and every time, I think we met five times, if I counted right, um, between May and and today. This would be our sixth time. Um, and and so we, we have somewhat of a mandate, and we had picked this scripture as we pray through it. Um, it had to be a it had to be a New Testament scripture, right? Why the remnant? Well. This is the, more, the one that made sense. Um, I inherited the name, obviously. It precedes me. Um, I actually met some, the person who, who was there when the remnant was, um, was being thrown out some years ago. I don't know how. how and I'm probably going to meet with that person again this week. And, and um, maybe, the, Lord willing, they'll be a part of our congregation. So if they're listening, this is a shameless plug to you. Um, but as, as I like the name remnant and as everybody agreed on, Hey, we want this fellowship to be called a remnant. And this is the verse that came to, to mind and we prayed about it. Um, and, and we said, what Paul says in Romans eleven five, in that way, then, and at the present time, a remnant, according to God's gracious choice has also come to be, I like the way that. Um, the ESV has it, um, right? There are a remnant according to God's grace. Very concise. Even in this time, there, there, is, there, there is a remnant according to God's grace. Is I think the way that the ESV has it. But as we think of the remnant, and as, as you see it, 
I think it behooves us to, to notice the context around it. So if you're in your Bibles in Romans chapter 11, verse 5, I want you to, to look a little bit higher the two verses prior to that, what Paul is talking about here in Romans 11, 3 and 4, is that, the, that how Israel, and he's really talking about more specifically the time of Elijah, when Elijah prays to the Lord as he's being chased around by an idolatrous, an, an idolater king and queen who are just headlong against the Lord, and he's in despair, and he prays this prayer. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I, I, and I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. Right? This is, this is how desperate Elijah felt, that he was the only one who cared about God's glory. He was the only one that wanted to speak for God, live for God. And Paul's commentary continues in verse 4. He says, but what does the divine response say to him? I have left for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal or Baal. And then verse 5 goes, in this way, he makes this New Testament application to it. The same way that there were 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee to Baal, in the same way, at the present time, a, there is a remnant according to God's gracious choice. That's what Paul is communicating. So it's not just an Old Testament reality where people have gone completely left and gone astray from God's will, and they are actually chasing godly people, and they want to kill them, they want to persecute them. In the midst of all of that, even now, is a remnant who have not chosen to kneel before your contemporary bell, whatever that is, right? And that's what we want to be. That's what we really, this, this is what drew, personally, this is what drew my, 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 my mind and my heart to this verse to say, if we're going to be the remnant, and this is it, right? This is, this is where we are. We don't want to kneel or bow the knee to whatever cultural nuance, whatever cultural Christianity looks like. We want to be godly, biblical Christians. That's the remnant. And, I mean, just look around. Uh, and drive around. And you see so-called churches, what they have on the outside. Love is love. Rainbow flags. Uh, prosperity gospel. All of those things. In addition to what the world is preaching. Right? Pride month, this month, that month, um, whatever, um, in the political arena and, and, and education arena, it's, it's godlessness. In the middle of this godless generation, in this crooked generation, we want to be the remnant 
and this is what the why the remnant exists so hence the mandate for the remnant is there i just wanted to give that as as an introduction so in the beginning not god created the heavens and the earth by the way when we first started when we met the first time in may where we started was asserting our commitment to walk in a manner that is worthy if you remember we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And I think I have an outline here that gives us, we started off by saying that we will be resolved not to bow the knee to Baal. We would be resolved to show our commitment to walk worthy according to, uh, worthy of the calling to which we are called. So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, that's the first scripture that that we looked at together and this is how the lord began speaking to to us and and this is what we've determined to do and here's what this scripture says paul writes therefore i the prisoner and the lord exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another and love being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we began talking about this by saying, if our lives are going to be this, these lives that, are, that is really representing Christ-likeness, or if they're going to be axiomatic with the calling, with salvation to be Christians, if we're really going to be Christians, if we're going to be Christ's disciples, if that's who we are, by the way, here, the word um, that he uses, um, worthy, is the Greek word axios, where we get that word axiomatic, which means that's something that actually reflects a character, right? If, that's, if, if, if our lives are going to be synonymous with Christ, right? If that's what's going to be, then humility, gentleness, patience, endurance, diligence, these things that require this intense desire, keen, keen interest, and eagerness even, right? A zeal. That's what needs to define our attitude towards one another. And that was our resolve. We have to be resolved to, to, to be humble to be gentle, to be patient, to, to endure, to be diligent even. Right? That's what we see in, in um, verse 2 and 3. And that's what we looked at. And we also looked at not only our attitude, but also our confession, our common confession. One of the things that I did not want to do when we began this, and one of, you guys know my heart, and you guys have... have, have um, spent enough time with me to, to, to actually get this. And if I have not communicated that, 
what we didn't want this to be is some kind of loosey-goosey gathering where everybody comes together and then kind of just has a good old time talking to each other, maybe sing a few songs, maybe listen to an, inspira an inspirational message, and then just go home. There is a confession that we there's not going to be a bait and switch. I don't know if you remember from the first day. This is not going to be a bait and switch type of deal that we want to bring people in with nice refreshments and nice music. And then on the back end, maybe we'll get to, to preach the gospel to them and, and show them what the doctrine is. Here's our doctrine. One body, church membership. One spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit and among us. One hope. That is the hope of Christ's return and our resurrection. One Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. One faith uh, representing the biblical doctrine. One baptism by which we profess our faith. One God and Father who is the owner and the author of all things in our lives in, in terms of salvation, even the very biological life. Who gets the glory? This is our common confession. We resolved from the beginning to say this, is, this will be our common confession. And our attitude is going to be represented by the humility, by the diligence, by the, by the patience, and by the gentleness that we have for one another. But our commitment, our resolve, doesn't come from our own ability as we sang, right? Uh, one of the lines that I've really liked from, from uh, All I Have is Christ is the, the, the will to follow your command can never come from me, right? Our, the ability to follow God's command and to, to be resolved this way is, doesn't even come from us. And this is why Paul says in verse 7, if you look down with, with me to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, but just in case you're going to be resolved by some kind of like motivational speech and like the vision casting and the communication style of the person that's saying this, and then you, you're going to have this common confession and you're just going to remind yourself in and of your power, just in case you thought it was from you. No, it's not. But this happens according to the gift but to each of us grace was giving according to the measure of christ's gift so whether it's, it's our common confession or our attitude that we're resolved to build on is a gift from god through christ jesus and we have been given grace each of you is what it says it's not even like as a whole it's like individually. You know, God, you have the grace. Ruth, you have the grace. Now do you have the grace? Matt, I see you have the grace too. Right? Don't, don't feel excluded, right? So do you, Sadra. All six of us individually have been given grace to hold fast to this confession, and to be, to be gentle, to be 
patient and to, to be diligent. And we will not shortchange that grace because and according to the riches and according to the measure of Christ's gift. Can you imagine what that means? The measure of Christ's gift according to the measure. It's not even the, the measurement is not our capacity here. By the way, when I, when I was looking at it, one of the things that, that hit me afresh this time is like, the measuring cup is not my capacity to, to hold the grace. Like my performance level is not the measuring cup. The measurer is Christ himself. That needs to encourage us. And if we're going to be resolved towards that, on what grounds can we be resolved? Yeah, this grace. But exactly, what authority? And we looked at the second time we met, the grounds or the principle on which this commitment is founded. For that, we went to Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there. It's a few pages, so only maybe even one page. Okay. To the left. And we looked at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Really, what we looked at was verses 20 to 22, but I, I want us to get a context of that. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. We can be committed to this kind of attitude, to this kind of confession, standing on, on this knowledge, on this principle, on the grounds of we're no longer strangers. But we're, listen, listen to how he explains, he describes us. We are fellow citizens with the saints. And we are of God's household. We're family. So we can be patient. We can show that attitude to, to our family members, right? And citizens have a, a pledge of allegiance, even. That's their one confession. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Everybody, every day when you went to school. Or maybe even an anthem. Before every game, any kind of huge gathering, everybody has this common confession. Oh, say, can you see? I mean, that's right. We can do that because we are citizens. So we, are, we know these things to be practical things. That's why I'm using them as an example. We can stand on this ground, but these are not earthly foundations. That's what Paul is getting at. Yeah, I'm going to use this earthly kind of uh, illustration. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household. You know how households work. You know how citizenship works. You have rights and responsibilities. You have commitments that you have to you have to have certain attitudes. You have to have certain kind of um, uh, common confession. But on what ground? What makes the remnant 
gathering, really the church gathering and in and, 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 and a sense, what makes it different? It's because the foundation is being built on the apostles and the prophets. That's verse 20. Which is to say the Old and New Testament. As the Old and New Testament converge as the foundation, you have the Old Testament coming this way, and you have, you have the New Testament coming the other way, and, but they converge where? On Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Hence we sang together, cornerstone. That's what kind of sparked my mind, if you want to know my thought process for picking the worship songs for today. So our standard... The final authority on which we stand, to, 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 to whom we submit, is founded on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture as it reveals Jesus Christ to us. So that's the grounds of our common confession. That's, scripture is going to be the grounds for our common confession. Scripture is going to be the grounds for our commitment. So if I lack in gentleness the authority by which you come alongside me and say, hey, you're lacking in this commitment, is going to be Scripture. If I start preaching more than one baptism happens, the only authority that you have a way to correct me by is going to be Scripture. If we lack in diligence or gentleness, even, even if we want to encourage one another in those ways, where we find a standard for, for gentleness or patience or diligence or, or where we go to find the Lord, who, who God is, who the nature and the attributes of who God, our Father in heaven, all of those things are going to be derived out of Scripture. Scripture is the final authority and, and is sufficient. And as much as it reveals Christ Jesus our, as our cornerstone, and that will be the grounds on which our commitment is built, our resolution is built. And I always do this. I forget to start my timer until I get to like the second point and I have no idea how long I've been going. So I don't know how fast or how slow I should go. But I'll press on. So the next time we met, we were reminded about the heart of the matter. If Christ is the cornerstone, if Scripture is going to be as authoritative and as sufficient uh, as it reveals Christ to us because He is our cornerstone, He is the focal point of what Scripture reveals, who is the cornerstone? Who is Christ? What kind of heart does He have? And that's when we looked at Matthew 11, Verses 25 through 30. Really, we looked at verses 28 through 30. 
But again, I want us to, to see the, 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 the larger context. So you can turn to that section with me and, and, and read it. As Christ is being rejected by the Pharisees, You know, most of us, when we preach the gospel, and people reject us, and we're really spiritual, we go and we ask God, why, God? Why wouldn't they just see you and respond in faith and repentance? Not, not Jesus. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden the things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Just in case you're wondering, like infants, like people that are just born, not literally infants, but people that are with childlike faith. Yes, Father. I didn't miss, he didn't misspeak. He repeats it. Yes, Father. For this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, Anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal to him, right? That's the context of which verse 28 comes, and that's where we looked at the, the heart of Christ. Right? We want to have the heart of Christ is, was the main insertion of that, that message as we went over it, where he says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, now will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, uh, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Do you gentle and humble ring any bells somewhere else where we began? By the way, and if, you, if you look again in verse 25, uh, in verse 26, for this way was pleasing in your sight. Huh. Ring any bells? You making connections there? The grace according to God's choosing? Right? You're making those connections, right? And then Jesus says, this is my heart. This is who I am. This is the kind of heart I have. I am gentle and humble. We're resolved to be humble and gentle and patient right, and diligent because he is. That's his heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the reason we started looking at that is because knowing the heart of the caller, this is an invitation, by the way. We do want to be an inviting church because we responded to this invitation. You responded to this invitation. I did too. Come to me. That's an, inv that's an invite. 
Come to me. So in response to this invitation, in the response to this call, but where Paul says in Ephesians 4 where we began, walk worthy of the calling. What was the calling? Come to me. That's the call of salvation. And how did you come? You realized that you were heavy laden and you were tired of trying to fight against God or trying to please God in one or, the, one or the other by your own efforts. I don't know each and every one of your personal salvation testimony, but if I had to just guess, you responded to this call when you were either actively fighting against God and you you just got worn out because that's a losing battle to fight against God <laughs> and just deny his existence and running the other opposite direction and then you just ran out of wind and you're just tired and he found you there. Or you're trying to please God on your own merit and you realized that all you found is just running on hamster wheels and you just got tired of it. Or you had a bunch of rules that you had to follow to, to find some type of meaning in your life or purpose in your life or even salvation, whether it's religious or, or financial or cultural. And those things just were heavy. And you couldn't bear it anymore. And you heard the call, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And by His grace, you came. He gave you rest. He did it gently. He did it humbly. That kind of invitation. It's important to know the heart of the caller, the heart of the calling. It's essential if we are to be representatives of Him individually and collectively as a church. So these are the mandate of, uh, if you're following the, the outline, is we're resolved based on a biblical foundation, receiving and displaying this heart of Christ. This inviting atmosphere, inviting people to the Savior who is still calling people to Him. Come to me. And we want to be a church identified with having the same heart. Not just our resolution or not just our diligence, not just our bi-weekly meeting, which by God's providence would turn into a weekly meeting, no matter how, how many people fill this room or not, no matter what it is, if the heart of Jesus is not in our midst, then we are just dignified 
some anonymous meeting who opened the old book with no spirit, no heart. If people are not coming to know the heart of the Savior, and if that's what we want to be, we need to know the heart of the one Lord of our confession. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is that the, the Son, that's why I read verse 25 and verse 20, uh, to, to 27. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. The Son is, is, is a recipient of all things from the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. You know, the, John 6, we know that no one comes to, the, to Jesus unless the Father draws Him, right? So the Father is the one that actually brings us to the Son because only the Father knows who the Son is. So the Father reveals by His Spirit who the Son is to us, and then we respond in faith and we come listening to that, that call to come to me. And then, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. The Son ultimately reveals the Father to us. As much talk in our generation and in our time a lot of the churches that are full of people and a lot of people and maybe if you were part of a church like that and some of them are healthy churches but we gather for the glory of God we want to we want to see the glory of God we want to know who God is we want to be godly and we want to know the father we want to behold the father that way but unless the son reveals him to us right then we won't know who He is. So as we behold this heart of the one Lord of our confession, as He reveals the Father to us, the Son will reveal the glory of God to us. He will reveal the Father to us. In fact, He has revealed Him to us. Look at what Hebrews, and you don't have to turn there, you can just look up. It's up there. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. In these last days, He spoke to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Sounds familiar? All things have been given to me by my Father. Through whom also He made the worlds. Verse 3. Who is the radiance of His glory? Do you want to hold and behold the glory of God? Look at the sun. Because the sun is the radiance of the Father's glory. And the exact representation of His nature. Not an indirect, in, in, in what, am I, what am I trying to say? Repres yeah, I, I know, I'm, I'm like representation of his nature like us having the image of God right but the son is the exact representation 
of the Father's nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If we didn't get that right, I like the way that John says, the son explains the father, who no one has seen, right? John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him, is what he says. If we want to know the nature, the glory, the, the majesty, the, 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 the attribute, the, the nature of who God is, the Son has to reveal him to us, and that's where we stopped three weeks ago, where we met as God himself spells out his personality to Moses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. <clears throat> We're going to be there for the remainder of our time together. Because that's what we looked at in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. Which really is a response of Moses asking to see Yahweh's glory in Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19. When Moses says, I pray you show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And God responds and says, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will show compassion. So he promises this graciousness and compassion according to his choice, right? <laughs> You guys are making the connection. I, I, today is like a making of connection day, right? I, I want us to see the coherence of what God has been speaking to us in all these months, even though we're meeting every other week. This is what the mandate is for our meetings. And then in chapter 34, He goes in front of him and passing. Then Yahweh descended in a cloud and stood there with him and called upon the name of Yahweh. So Yahweh descends and then he calls upon his own name, which is to proclaim his identity, to proclaim his goodness. Then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, 
compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness and truth, who keeps love and kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers so on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. That's what last time that we were together, this is the scripture we went into, so I'm not going to go back through it as, as deeply, but this is the glory of God passing by, and Moses is beholding this glory. In fact, in, in Exodus 33, we, we see that Moses was actually talking to God face to face, this is. That God was talking to Moses face to face as a friend would speak to another friend. And that's our mandate. It's to display this glory, to behold it, to see it, but also to display it. And if we, the remnant, by God's gracious choice, if we are the remnant, by God's gracious choice, we want to behold Him. That is, we want to behold His radiance. That His radiance would shine like it did in Moses. Later on in chapter 34, verses 34 and 35, we see, but whenever Moses went in before Yahweh to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out, and then he would come out and speak to the sons of Israel. With my reading. He would come out and speak to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded. Look at this one. And the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. Like, literally, it's a visible, like, people would see Moses and be like, oh yeah, you've been with God. <laughs> you've definitely spent some time with God. You, you definitely, like, there's no if and buts about it. There's no ones and twos about it. Like, visibly, People can tell that Moses had been in the presence of God. And it shone, so Moses would return a veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Now we're speaking of the Old Covenant. But in the last days, according to Hebrews chapter 1, God has spoken to us and He's revealed Himself in His Son to us. So we behold His radiance in that way. There's this greater way that, than, than what the people of Israel experienced. Because of this new covenant through the Son. That's where we are. Because we responded to the Son as He calls us to come. We have the heart of the Son. So we can actually behold this glory with unveiled face. 
This is what Paul explains to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And those of you, uh, three weeks ago when, during our prayer, this, this was something that we prayed over. This is the, the entire chapter, really, which explained this old covenant and how better a covenant we have that this law is not written on stone, but the law of God is written in our hearts. Because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have a greater covenant than the covenant that the people of Israel made with God. And they saw Him, they heard Him, they audibly heard Him even. And they were able to behold a reflection, a veiled reflection of God's glory in the face of Moses. That's like twice removed. But Christ is the exact representation of the Father's nature. And He is the radiance of who the Father is. And we behold Him in faith. And look at what Paul says. But we all, that's talking about us, really. He's talking about the Corinthian church. But by extension, the remnant, chosen by God's gracious choice. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, just once removed, <laughs> like if the Israelites, they were looking at a mirror and then another mirror, and they kind of, you guys been to the barbershop, right? He gives you a nice taper fade, right? Like my barber did. Shout out to Mo. <laughs> Right, And every time he's done, he gives me a mirror to hold. And he has another mirror. I mean, the whole entire wall is covered with mirrors. But he puts it close. And then I look at the mirror in front of me. And then there's another one behind me. And I'm able to look at the back of my head and make sure that he did, he did well. And you know what I say to him every time? I say, perfect. He's like, yeah, man, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> right? That's kind of what Moses saw, right? He saw the backside of, of God's glory, right? As he hit him in, in the cleft, and then he covered his eye as he passed, and then he removed his hand so that Moses can see the backside of it. Now, we can't see God's face to face and live. No one can see God. No one has seen God. We know that. The Bible tells us that. No one can see God and live. So we can't behold the fullness of the glory, but we can see the radiance, the reflection, as in a mirror, one, only once removed. In Christ Jesus. This is what Paul's imagery is. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And as we behold in Christ, He's reflecting back to us God's glory. And as a result, we are being transformed. He doesn't say as a result, but I'm kind of inserting that. Are being transformed. Beholding us in a mirror of the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image 
from glory to glory. Where we're being transformed. So our church, our gathering is a place for transformation. But that transformation comes as we behold the glory of the Father, as the Son reveals to us, because He has invited us to work it backwards in terms of our, our, um, our outline, kind of reverse engineering it, right? We are going to be transformed as we behold the glory of God because of the heart of Christ who has reached out to us, invited us in, so that he can show God to us. And he has become the cornerstone by which we have this biblical standard. And therefore we're resolved to walk according or worthy of the calling to which we are called. That's what, we, what, what the Lord has been doing in and among us. That's where we've been since May to now. So I just wanted us today to, to pause, to consider, to kind of deuteronomize. That's not a word. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm just making that up. I've, to make those connections. That's what is happening in and among us. This is why we are here. This is, this is our launching pad. This is why we gather every two weeks. This is why we gathered once a month and everybody was like, hey, once a month is a little too spread apart. Let's do it every two weeks. And if you're anything like me and if the Lord is really working in you, not, not to say that if you don't feel the same way that I do, the Lord is not working. So I'm not, I would even want it to be every week now to meet, to gather together. But let's not forget, this is not just individual calling, but this is the foundation of our church. And I'm glad this is being recorded because guess what? And if the Lord wills and we do launch and we have this, this, this gathering and I, and I trust in the Lord's and His, and His faithfulness uh, to, 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 to gather more of His people in. And if we stray, we can always come back to this message and remind ourselves of what our mandate is. It's to be resolved to walk worthy of the calling to which we are called with our attitudes, with our confession. As we stand on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and behold the heart of Christ and show the heart of Christ as He reveals the Father and His glory to us so that we can be transformed into His image. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are not like us, that you did not consider our futility of, of thought, our arrogance and our pride, but you considered 
the gentleness and the humility of your Son, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to be made in the likeness of man. To not consider being equality with God as something to be grasped, as Paul tells us. But he humbled himself, became like one of us, obeyed to your will. The will you had intended to show mercy on whomever you would show mercy and compassion, on whomever you would show compassion. And suffered, died. So that all who would trust in him shall not perish as we heard this morning, but have eternal life. That in Him alone, we have forgiveness of sin. Totally, completely. But we also have a promise of an abundant, eternal life. A life that is promised to us forever and ever. A life that has the quality of your own attributes. A life that can cause us to be resolved, to be gentle and humble and patient, bearing with one another with all diligence, keeping the unity of our faith. So, Father, we are so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you have upholded your will and your righteousness, your identity throughout generations by the prophets and the apostles. As one look forward to the coming of Christ, as the other one explained who Christ is to us in your word. Father, we submit to the authority of your word. We hold to the sufficiency of your word for life and every aspect of life. For your word is a light, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. There's no way, there's no path, there's no direction of our lives that your word does not speak to. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us throughout all these months. Thank you for speaking to your people throughout all these generations through your word that never changes, that will never change. For heaven and earth, shall pass away, but your word, your eternal word endures forever. So help us, Lord. Hold fast to your word. 
Help us trust in your word. Help us be obedient to your word. Help us apply your word by the power of your spirit as he works in us. A work of transformation. As he conforms us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that we would work out our salvation in fear and trembling. For we know that our, the willingness and even the energy by which we accomplish obedience comes from you, God. So Father, cause us to be diligent cause us to be humble, cause us to be patient, cause us to be resolved for your glory. Lead us, Lord, by your word, through your spirit, to your Son, so that we may behold you, Father, as in a mirror of glory. That is our desire. Let us never forget it, Lord. We ask you these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.